0: Okay, so we are in Biblical Soul Care Sunday School class, and um, we are doing just a couple of chapters from Good and Angry by David Pallison. This follows uh, however many months we were in Uprooting Anger by Robert Jones, which is a great book, and I think it was very helpful for me, and hopefully uh, as we discussed this uh, over the last several months, it was very helpful for you uh, as we defined anger and we talked about what makes anger wrong and how it goes wrong a lot. Um, and really, for these next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how does, how does anger go right? How can we honor the Lord with our anger? Uh, so let's look at the notes there on page one. Uh, by the way, there was two stacks over there. The, the thicker stack was the one that we're doing to, today. So if you hadn't gotten the right uh, stack, it's um, good and angry chapter seven is what it says at the top but let's do a thought experiment, and I'm not going to ask anybody to share unless you really want to, which, um, but think about the last time you were angry, you know, like above irritated, even though irritation is also angry. But think about the last time you were angry, and kind of play that back in your mind, what happened, who was there, what the circumstances were. Now think about how you responded to it. Playing back in your mind a little bit. So you were angry and you had a response, whether that was you did something or said something, or whether you just kind of clammed up and didn't do something, that's still a response to the to the situation. Now, let's look at these questions here. Was your response truly honoring and glorifying to God? Okay. Did your response uh, keep in mind and intact the, the dignity of the other person involved knowing that they are an image bearer. they are made in the image of God and by that fact alone worthy of your respect and honor as a fellow image bearer. Did you keep that in mind? Most of us probably are thinking no oh, Probably not. I didn't do that very well. Okay. So now, we're going to go back there for a moment in your mind. What would it have looked like to do that? To do those things? To, to have in mind the glory and honor of God and the respect and dignity of the other image mirror. What would it have looked like for you to respond in that way? When I was thinking about how to start this little mini-series I, I was a little bit I don't know if you feel this way but I, I think sometimes when I'm angry I, I don't really truly all the way believe that I could really glorify God with my anger it kind of seems like a lost cause sometimes like if I go back there to what me, made me angry and I imagine trying to respond in a different way that honors the Lord and honors the person I'm like how am I supposed to do that? They were really mean They are really bad. They did something awful. They did that thing that really gets on your nerves. They did that. How am I really, like, is that really a realistic expectation? Do you think it's possible to redeem your anger for the glory of God? And of course the answer is what? What is the answer? Yes, it is. Yes. And we all know it's Sunday school. We have to say yes. Yeah. Of course, Brock, it's it's possible. But how do do you do it? And what? (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. So so we know it's possible. And and so this morning in the next probably week or two, we're going to talk about what are the ingredients that you have to have in your heart? What do you need to be thinking about and meditating on before that happens? To make it possible for you to glorify God in your anger. And we talked about this a lot. But a lot of times we just think, well, I just don't say anything. I'll just grip my teeth and I just won't do anything. Well, that's not godly either. right? Or I'm just going to be indifferent. I'm not going to care about it. Because if I don't care about it, then it's, it'll be okay because I won't get angry. And that's not good either. There are things happening in the world, in your life, circumstances that are unrighteous, that are sinful, that are ungodly that warrant our anger. To not be angry when we should be angry is just as sinful as being angry when we should not be. Which is just as sinful as being angry when we should be, but we do it wrong, and we yell and scream and intimidate or ignore and shun. Those are all wrong responses, all sinful responses. Uh, to the circumstances that provoke our anger. So that's what we're trying to figure out. So the objective today and for the next few weeks is to identify characteristics, today we'll do two of them, um, of good anger in action. Okay, We're going to observe how they are necessary to redeem our anger, to make it pleasing to God and helpful to others. Okay, So... In this book, he draws a really interesting, I thought maybe surprising connection to how do you redeem your anger to make it godly and, and its connection to mercy. So what is the goal of righteous anger? What do you think? Let me remind you of the definition we've been working out for like the last seven months or whatever it was. Um, anger is our whole person active response of negative moral judgment against the perceived evil. Right? So, a lot of words in there, but, but when we're talking about righteous anger, we're assuming by definition that we are aligning our perception of evil with God's perception. What God says is evil is evil, and when we're lined up with that and we see sin, there is a negative moral judgment that we pronounce over it. And it's our whole person. It's not just an emotion. It is not merely physical, chemical imbalances or something going on in your brain that makes you do something in anger. No, it it is physical, it is emotional, and it is your choice. We are choosing anger. And it's an active response. So we are like we're doing anger. Okay? When what makes us angry says something about what we value and what motivates us. So we, are, we do anger with our whole being, okay, and we're pronouncing a negative moral judgment on it. That is evil and wicked, and it needs to stop. Okay? So that, that's what anger is. So what is the goal then, as we think about the definition that we just talked about? What's the goal of righteous anger?
1: I'm thinking about what it should be, not, not that I'm a perfect example of it, but to restore righteousness to mercy.
0: Yeah. So righteous anger is to restore righteousness, which one thing that you, we would say I would add on is you, it's to identify evil and unrighteousness, right? Something that's going on that shouldn't be or something that is not going on that should be, right? So there's an identification of something wicked and a restoration process. We're going to make that right. That's what, that's what the goal of righteous anger is. I feel provoked by evil, and I identify and say... That's evil it shouldn't be happening that 's a goal of anger now what happens next I identify the unrighteousness the sin rebellion against God you have to confront us. yes So what follows the, the I, that is evil is our action to make it right. And that is what we're talking about this morning. So we, we have identified this is wrong and evil, sinful. At least in our perception. We think this is evil. This is something that the scripture calls sin. This is about God's agenda, not my own agenda. And what I do next needs to be characterized by mercy. That sounds a little bit contradictory, I think, sometimes. So if righteous anger is our whole person response, then what comes next needs to be our merciful action to make it right. As much as we can, right? So as we talk about mercy, we must carefully think about what mercy actually means and what it requires of us. But first it might be helpful to consider what mercy is not. So what are some possible misunderstandings about mercy? Maybe that you've had before, or you have talked to somebody and they have talked about mercy and you're like, that's not quite what mercy means. What are some misunderstandings or misapplications of, of mercy? Just letting people there with. permissiveness. <laughs> just letting it go. Well, I just have to have mercy on him. You know, God tells me to be merciful, so I just let that go. What else? Justification of that person. And it also can be justifying my own inaction. Right? I'm just a merciful person. Instead of saying I'm just passive and I'm just not doing what God calls me to do. Well, I'm just I'm showing mercy. Right? So we can mistake those kinds of things: passivity, permissiveness. Laziness, even (coughs) for mercy. What are some scenarios where that might happen? hothead, yeah. and you know that to, to kind of <laughs> confront them, you think you probably need to do, but they're going to respond badly, so I'm just going to, I'm going to extend mercy, right? Okay, good. What else?
2: I think if it's a repeated occurrence, you just say, well, that's just the
1: way they are. You mm-hmm. can't do anything about it.
0: somebody who seems to to demonstrate a pattern of behavior that we just I'm just going to extend mercy cuz they'll never change okay. You're a man, right? This person is a potential friend or they're an acquaintance and and they're doing or they're struggling, they're thinking about doing something that you know is wrong. Well, who am I to judge? I I need to extend mercy, I need to be gracious, and that I mean yeah, you can see that in our in our culture a lot with with, um, sexuality issues, with gender issues, with race issues, yeah, with abortion. There's there's a whole number of, of issues where this the scripture is really clear. Um, what we ought to do, especially as believers, especially when we're talking about believers, right? Um, but we're like, well, I need to just extend mercy. I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah. There's, there's also in parenting, I'm just tired. I want to watch the game, and I have my kids disobeying. But I'm like, I'm just gonna extend mercy this time so I can watch j right? That that would be. Wrong. That would be more a, a laziness that I'm disguising. I'm putting a, a godly word on it. I'm just lazy and selfish, and I, I don't want to deal with that right now because it's going to take time to like ask questions, and listen to it, and I'm going to have to do... Yeah, there's just parenting and marriage and other relationships and friendships. It's easier sometimes in the short term to let it go than do something about it.
1: One of the problems I've seen, I really struggle with <coughs> in my Christian life, has been uh, what to do with the bully. Mm-hmm. I've wrestled back and forth. I uh, show Christ's love to them. They see that as a weakness, mm-hmm. and they will start attacking more. So there's a, a time and place where you have to confront them mm-hmm. I mean, in, a, in a positive way, but not, I'm not going to tolerate that Yeah. and uh, it's, it's, it's hard to do, uh, but especially in a, in a close relationship, uh, I've had issues in the business world and even private settings where these are hard issues, mm-hmm. they were good reconciliation, we maintain a friendship, but yet just not let everything go. It's like just it didn't happen. It's like I will just play like it didn't happen. So you do nothing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a dilemma for me in my life.
0: It's it's a very difficult topic to when somebody's a bully and um, and you we have this idea that mercy sometimes means weakness. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm merciful I just let it go and I'm I'm gonna let it happen. And that that's conflating two things that are not the same. Mercy, done biblically, requires strength, and we'll talk about that more as we go along. But yeah, there's, there's a whole number of things to consider also when, when you have somebody's treating you wrongly. Um, because there are scriptures like 1 Peter two, where, where Peter's telling them, Hey, Jesus was reviled, and what did he do? He didn't revile in return. He was uh, insulted, didn't threaten. He did, he didn't he took that. So we're like, well, I mean, maybe I need to do that all the time. Well, there are situations when if it's directed toward me, I need to do that. If it's directed toward some other person who's weaker, mercy would would say, well, what about mercy for that victim, the person who's being bullied? I mean, that requires strength and godly, humble confrontation. But there's a certain boldness that's required there for... Us to show mercy to everyone, and we, yeah, and we'll talk about that. Like I said, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, let's read <coughs> the next passage on page two, top of page two. Go on. Sorry. Go ahead. Have you have you defined mercy? We okay. have not yet. Okay, we're gonna get to that. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cliffhanger. So what is mercy? What mercy is not? So we're gonna read a couple of passages, and there's a little blank for you to fill in there. what, is, what mercy isn't? So, and there's a couple of different answers you can get here. I've I've got an answer in mind, but I'm not going to, I'm not grading your papers. So, 1 Kings 1, 5, and 6. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father, who's King David, his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. So mercy is not what? David messed up here. He was not being merciful to his son. What can we say mercy is not from that text? They're both the figurative and the mm-hmm. So yeah, like letting it go. It's not passive, we could say. It's not permissive. It's not just letting whatever whatever happened happen. Let go and let God. You know, God will take care of him. If he, sure, he's my son, but yeah, I mean, I mean he's really God's kid too. Like, there's a curl of truth in there, right? But but mercy is not being passive and permissive and just letting it go. First Samuel two twenty two. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good, to, is no good report that I hear from the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If, something sins, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. I'm also going to go on. I didn't want to take up a whole lot of space. So in 1 uh, Samuel 2, verse 29, we read this. Is the Lord talking to Eli. Why then did you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. So there's God's charge talking to Eli. And it's giving a little bit to 3, chapter 3, verse 10, 10 through 14. This is when God's talking to Samuel as a boy, telling him what's going to happen. Here's what he says, verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling out as at other times, So, mercy is not there's a couple of answers that we can give here how did Eli mess up here enabling Enabling. yeah he enabled it there's also this element where Eli with his sons they were doing wrong how, did you catch what they were doing that they should not have been doing
1: yeah. Yeah. what was it <clears throat> eating the sacrifice that they were not supposed to Right,
0: and we skipped a portion in there, but it, it says Samuel writes in there that there it was customary for the the sacrifice to be boiled, and the the priest would go in with a fork and they would just kind of jab it in there and whatever came up that's what they got. Eli and his sons they would take the best parts before it was boiled for themselves, which was not right, and his sons did it even. Worse. So, and they were God even tells me, You're fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of the sacrifice. So mercy is not again that the same kind of permissiveness, enabling. It is not selfish, it's not self-focused. So yeah, Eli kind of we got a glimpse of him talking to his sons. Hey guys, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't do that. And his sons didn't listen. And what did Eli do?
1: This is where one thing I'm really guilty of. Okay, Lord, He's yours. I mean, you take care of it. I tried. I mean, <laughs> yeah.
0: right? I gave it. A, I gave it a shot. Sent him a text. Ask posted it on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> on
1: judgment.
0: Yeah. So mercy is not enabling. It's not passive. It's not lazy. It's not selfish. It's not overlooking the sin. It's not overlooking sin. It's not just kind of lazily hoping for the best. I did my part. Lord you hope hope they get it. So what is mercy? Here's let's look at some text where we see God acting in mercy. Psalm 103. 8 through 13. I'm gonna go ahead and turn there because I didn't put it all in there. Psalm 103. One of my favorites. All right, we'll start in verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's, That's the key part there. We'll read that again in a minute, but It continues, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So what do we learn about God's mercy in those verses? Let's go go, uh, 8 through 10 real quick. Let me read it again and and think. What am I learning here about the mercy of God? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Let's stop there in verse 8. What do we know about the mercy of God?
1: Well, that slow to anger would help me a whole lot because if I was slower my mouth is quicker than that, you know, anything you
0: can't believe so I need
2: that slowness to anger, mm-hmm. thinking first
0: yeah. God's mercy is, is correlated to being slow to anger mm-hmm. God in his mercy does not get angry quickly it's interesting okay, so, so God's mercy makes him slow to anger continue on He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What do we learn about the mercy of God there? He
1: doesn't give me what I deserve. He
0: does not give you what you deserve. He does not give me what I deserve. All of us deserve condemnation. Eternal death for our rebellion and our hatred of God, for our ungodliness, for our high handed sins, outright rejection of Him. We deserve death. And in His mercy, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's amazing. We can say God's not fair in that sense, to be a little bit provocative. God is not giving what I deserve. Anything else from that text
1: that anybody want to point out? There's an end to it also, but it's not not your grudge that you're holding on forever. It comes to an end. You give it and it comes to an
0: end. It's measured. God's mercy and His wrath, both His anger His discipline, all of that, is perfectly appropriate and right. He doesn't fly off the handle and get out of control over something that he shouldn't. So both his mercy is measured as his his wrath and his anger and his discipline of his people. That's amazing.
1: Reminds me of a scripture in James that says, "Slow, quick to listen." Slow to speak, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So let's look at Ephesians two, one through seven. Ephesians two. Another very well-known text. Verse 4, I'll read verse 4 first, and then we're going to go back and and do the whole thing. But God, being rich in mercy, it's an interesting phrase. He is rich in mercy. What does rich mean? Rich means you have an overabundance, way astronomical amount of something. And he is rich in what? In power? He is, but that's not what the text says. The text says he is rich in mercy. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So that, if you just tell somebody on the street that, like, oh, that's nice. That's really good. I'm glad he does that. He's a, he's a nice God. Well, let's back up and see what, in the more context, for, for why it's so amazing that he's rich in mercy toward his people. <coughs> verse 1 and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked I mean, I mean that's, you lived in your sins you're dead in them following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit now at, worked, now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So all of us, believers, were at one time children of wrath, just like everybody else. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that at the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, what precedes the revelation of God's mercy in this text? Looking at verses 1-4, through what what do we see? trespasses and sins, dead, children of wrath, enslaved to passions and pleasures. We were all in, fully committed to our own way of living, doing what we wanted to do, whatever form that took. The surprising thing about God's response to our original state is what? What? Us from it. He saved us. He is merciful. But, so you would you would expect for him to say all that stuff, we're so terrible, and you know what's going to happen? And when you die, bam, you're going to get hammered. And it's going to be really bad, and you deserve it. But he doesn't go there. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, What is God's active response to our sinfulness? Yeah. talk about anger and somebody provoking you to anger, and you're returning it to Him, and we're in our sinful anger doing that. God in His anger and in His mercy does not just execute. He makes a way for us to be saved. Jesus comes and lives a perfect life and dies on the cross, taking all of the wrath of God for each one of his people on himself. Amazing. So what is mercy? Mercy is the desire and commitment to do good to one who deserves judgment or who is in a pitiable state. So mercy describes actions of one who is committed to showing love and kindness to one who cannot help himself. Okay? So that's mercy in general. God's mercy is strong, purposeful, wise, and righteous. It's not permissive. It's not foolish or lazy or inconsistent. God is perfect and rich in mercy, and in his mercy He always accomplishes his will. So, kind of have an idea of what mercy is. It is that desire and commitment to do good for this person who doesn't deserve it. Okay. In good and angry, David Pallison renames good anger as the constructive displeasure of mercy. It's interesting. So good anger, he says, let's rename it. We're going to call it good anger, the, the constructive displeasure of mercy. So let's look at some of those words. Constructive. What's that mean? Well, it means to build or improve something, to make something useful, to make it good. That's constructive. What are you adding constructive to this conversation? We are being useful, being uh, helpful. Displeasure. Opposite of pleasure, right? Displeasure means there's something wrong here. It's it's grieving. It's making us unhappy. It's making us um, bothered. Making us angry. We're angry at something. So displeasure is a key part of right anger. And then mercy, as we've seen. Mercy is the commitment to do good to someone who doesn't deserve it or cannot do anything about it himself. So when taken together, good anger should lead to constructive displeasure of mercy. It's a reaction to something wrong that works for the good of all those who are involved. Now, that sounds great. How do you do that? Does mercy look the same in all situations? We've already hinted at this a little bit. Let's skip to 13. How might mercy be applied to a victim of a crime and the perpetrator of that crime? You can be merciful to both, both parties. What might the difference be?
1: Restitution.
0: Yeah. So for the victim in particular, we want to make it right to the best of our ability to make restitution as far as we are able. And then what about to the perpetrator, the one who did it? How do we show mercy to them? We just let it go, right? How do you show mercy to someone who commits? A sin or a crime. You it call doesn't. Them out go ahead. Yeah. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and a lot of times when there's when there's something that has been done that is wrong, there's a sin that has taken place, a crime that's been committed. You. You give consequences. There, there are right just consequences that are given but being merciful doesn't mean you take those away it means that you, there's the offer of forgiveness right? being merciful is not just condemnation 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 and leaving them to rot in their you know situation mercy even to a someone who's done wrong is yes you have done wrong and there are consequences to what you have done. These are the consequences. And it looks different for different situations, but there are consequences here. You're going to experience those consequences. And there's even more consequences from God who sees all and judges all, and who is the ultimate just judge. And there is forgiveness in Christ. And I, as one who you have wronged, am ready to forgive you. So that's merciful to someone who has done wrong. Okay? The alternative is is either just doing nothing about it or returning evil for evil potentially and hoping that they just suffer. Being merciful is desiring the good of even the criminal, even the one who wronged me. Difficult to to desire to want sometimes, especially you think of the, back to that situation that made we, that we started with. The last time I was really angry. To want the good of the person who I blame for all of my my anger is difficult. So how do we do that? There are, as David Pallison points out, there's four kind of ingredients to this constructive displeasure of mercy and the first one is patience patience is a right response to a wrong done to me. Does that surprise you that patience is the first ingredient? Does that surprise anybody? Why or why not?
1: I mean if God is slow to anger that
0: shows his patience Mm -hmm. It's not super not, uh, surprising because God is slow to anger. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. About so yeah, it makes sense. We should be like, you know, we're supposed to be like God. He wants us to make Him make us like his son. Romans 8, 28 and 29 tells us that. So maybe it's not surprising. But when you think about being patient, when, when you are angry, I'm angry, calling something evil, Assuming that I'm right about that and it's actual sin. I'm angry about that person rejecting God's kingdom or hindering God's revealed will in some way. I'm angry for the right reasons. Why is patience the next thing that I need to have? You need to be able to
1: exhibit Mm self-control in the them and so
0: fighting your time initially while you return to and respond to it rather than just mm-hmm. yeah. off the and, and when I say patience I, I, that, is, that is good, we need patience in that moment to not overreact, not to return evil for evil right? we need patience to not do that to be slow to anger but also long term <clears throat> in the next weeks and months years maybe how does patience work in that situation? almost persevering. It's persevering. People don't change like that. I get angry, so I, you need to change right now, and tomorrow it better not happen again. Right? There is a patience. Being merciful towards someone who's done me wrong means that I'm willing to, for the long term, for the long haul, work with them in their struggle, whatever that struggle might be. With that sin, that requires a great deal of patience. I cannot throw up my hands because my daughter did the thing that I told her not to do for the seventh time. My like, oh, I just give up. Whatever. No, that's gonna take years. Think about yourself and the, and the things that you've had to fight in your own life, the, the sins and the, the the habits that you've had to change. How fast does that happen?
1: Do you not. You not very. <laughs> Not very, right?
0: Months, sometimes years, sometimes to grow and put certain sins to death sometimes. Anger might be one of those things. Anger is a thing. I'm just such an, I explode when I get angry. It might take me a, quite a while to overcome that. And so I'm going to need my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family members, to be patient with me as I grow in godliness to stop my anger issue, stop that explosive anger. Malphite? Did you say throw up your hands or throw hands? I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> throw up your hands. I probably didn't say throw hands. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so we have... Similar to mercy, at the top of page four, similar to mercy, patience can be misunderstood and mistaken for the cheap knockoffs like permissiveness and laziness and tolerance of wrong. Instead, patience looks like being slow to anger while we work through the wrong situation to bring about righteousness over time. So 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient and kind interesting that that's the first way, that, that's the first word that he uses, Paul, in that famous chapter. Love is, I mean, it could have been a whole lot of other things. Love is a warm feeling you get on the inside. No, no love is patient. That's interesting. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Why would love need to be patient? You said it takes time for us to change. Mm-hmm. Heart change. Yeah, I can't expect somebody to stop something right away. Like, if I don't have love for something after they messed up the third time, do I love them? No, I, I don't love them. That's not love. He's saying this is what love is. Love is patient. If your love isn't patient, you've got something different. Okay? Love is patient. So, how can, you, how can patient love be displayed when one party is angry? If, and let's make that me. You're the angry person. How can patient love be shown? Listen to them, mm-hmm. even if they're wrong. Yeah. So, I can listen. Jason?
2: I uh, think in a lot of situations, it's, it's being patient is not be not desiring to have this conflict resolved immediately. So it's an uncomfortable situation when someone, you know, you go into the office and someone's yelling at you for you know, ultimately isn't necessarily anything that you had a whole lot of control over, but they're riding that high of that anger. You know, it's it's kind of like trying to derail the train. You gotta give it a little bit of time to slow down. Mm -hmm. So that's why you need that patience to just, you know, yes, you're getting yelled at, but, and this is uncomfortable in the moment, but if you just let them run their course, and then when they're, when that blood's down, when you're, you know, you're not necessarily in a confrontational moment, you're in a, hey, listen, you you know, I'm sorry, I know this is really uncomfortable for you, you know, I'm just going off of what I was told and just having that patience and not having that desire to gratify yourself to you know, hey you don't get to yell at me kind mm-hmm. of
0: mentality. It's it's I don't know. Yeah de escalation. It can look like holding your tongue when you want to say, Don't you don't you know who I am? You don't talk to me like that, do you? Yeah. You know, so that that might be what we want to do. Patient love is is looking over that and thinking, okay, this person, do I? what would it look like for me to love this person? And they're angry. I, if I just love them when they're nice to me, that's not love. It's, again, so love is patient. Sometimes it might mean, you just kind of hold your tongue for a little bit, and, and out of love for this person, I'm not going to say what first comes to my mind. So it may be, how could that look? It could, it could be asking questions. It could be saying yes, sir, and then going back later. Sometimes there's some wisdom in that. But patient love—if I love someone and want the the good for them—that's got to be the motive. I can't I can't have the like the love of our culture that just centers on me, and like I'll love you as long as you love me, like I love me. Then we can get along. That's not love. But love is a sacrificing of my own desires, many times, in favor for for your good. And your good is defined by Scripture. Not your good as, like, I'll just let this go because I don't want to deal with it right now. But your good as in, if it's a brother and sister or sister in Christ, they're Christ-likeness, their growth in Christ-likeness. If they're not, then they're they're good in helping them to point out sometimes. If it's somebody at work pointing out, hey, when you do this, this is how that comes across to your employees. And that could end badly for you. And I, I care about you, I, I enjoy working for you, and I want to help and so that, that's what love looks like. Love has to be centered on the other person, not on how I feel about it. Right? Okay. Let's look at 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Peter writes, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. While the Lord is being patient with us, what is he also doing? Drawing us towards repentance. Yeah, how does he do that? isn't just leaving you there and just, well, he's probably going to figure it out eventually. No. Our God is a good Father. What do good fathers do? Discipline their children. Right? Hebrews 12. My son did not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord... In his mercy is disciplining. The, the Lord, in being merciful to us, will not leave us where we are in our sin and just kind of let us sit and rot in it. The Lord disciplines his children. And that is an act of mercy. That's promoting the good. Because if he leaves us there, will we figure it out ourselves? No, we will just sink deeper and deeper and deeper into our sinfulness. And ugh, right? God, in His mercy, won't allow His children to just sit in their sin. He will discipline them. He will help them, and so He does that through a variety of means. Peggy talked about, um, in through scripture reading, through um, being together with, with believers like we are this morning, uh, through prayer prayers of other people for us, our own prayers as we pray to the Lord, there are different ways that, you know, confrontation, biblical confrontation. Some brother or sister comes alongside you and says, hey, there's some things in your heart and life that are not right. This is sinful. Those are all things that the Lord will use. He will use circumstances in your life. But things and people, everything and every person in your life is put there on purpose by God sometimes that is for discipline. So, when we are righteously angry, we must be patient in our commitment and effort to bring about good for people. Sinners love sin, and even believers will have a lifelong war against their own sin. We must be patient with others as our Heavenly Father is patient with us. I'm going to stop there. Next week, we'll pick up on the second ingredient, which is forgiveness. Thanks, everybody.